0: At Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary, it is our privilege to partner with local churches both in the United States and around the world in training men for the gospel ministry. If your church supports CBTS with $200 a month and a commitment to pray for us, any student in your church can attend CBTS tuition free. To learn more about how you can partner with us in providing informed scholarship with Pastoral Heart, visit cbtseminary.org.
1: Covenant Podcast exists to equip listeners with theological content from a 1689 Baptist perspective.
2: We pray you find this resource edifying, faithful to Scripture, and Christ-exalting. Now, let's get started. Welcome to the Covenant Podcast. Austin McCormick here with my co-host Dewey Dovel, and today we have multiple interviewees. One of them is Jake Stone, who we've had on multiple times. So if you want to know more about him, I'll, uh, invite you to, uh, find some of the shows that we've interviewed with him and you can learn more about him at the beginning of those. Um, but we also have the privilege of having Jordan Stefaniak and Garrett Walden to talk about the John Gill project. So brothers, uh, before we start talking about the John Gill project, can you starting with Jordan, uh, introduce yourself to our audience?
3: Sure. So thanks for having us on. This is a real treat and delight and pleasure. All three of them together mixed. Uh, So I'm super excited to be here. Um, I guess Jake's laughing over here. He can't keep it to himself. Uh, This is a good start of this episode. So a little bit about me. Um, I guess I am finishing my PhD in philosophy at the University of Birmingham in the UK, though I don't residentially reside there. I'm in North Carolina in the Raleigh area so if you've been to north carolina it's like sort of on the east coast uh uh, hour and a half two hours from the beach sort of area to situate your mind i um did my mdiv at the southern baptist theological seminary where jake stone is at and where garrett is also at i did a thm at southeastern seminary in wake forest i'm married and i have two children uh both boys and they both love playing with cars and trucks and everything related to that constantly uh, so that is a lot of fun other than that i mean i guess i i helped co-found the london lyceum which i think is pretty much me us and the covenant podcast are i think the true premier uh reform baptist outlets that are out there um we we're a little bit nerdy on the philosophical side uh oftentimes which i think is a lot of fun that's just sort of my training and sort of the itch i like to scratch so i enjoy doing a lot of that sort of stuff um other than that, I think that's that's pretty much it. I'll let Garrett go ahead and introduce himself.
1: Great, yeah. My name is Garrett Walden, and I'm really honored to be on the podcast. It's been uh, I've listened to the podcast a few times, and it's been a really helpful podcast for me. And uh, yeah, grateful to be to be part of it. Also, grateful to be part to be a part of the London Lyceum. It's been a wonderful time to connect with some some like minded friends. And so uh, I'm a pastor down in Auburn, Alabama, and it's been a wonderful church here. I've been a pastor for coming up on three years now, and uh, I live here in Auburn with my wife and my four kids, and so you might hear my children in the background at some point, but um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a sweet place to be. I did my undergrad here at Auburn, and so I uh, spent two years on campus at Southern working on an MDiv and then finished back here at the church uh, kind of remotely and then stayed on and I'm working on a PhD uh, right now under the supervision of Dr. Michael Haken. And my area of focus is specifically on 18th century Baptist history and theology. And so um, one of the things that I really like about Dr. Haken's way of doing history is he really tries to uh, highlight some of the lesser known voices. And so that's a big part of what my research entails, um, considering the the life and ministry of a man, John Collett Ryland. And so one of the interesting things about you know John Gill is Gill and Ryland were close friends and a lot of uh, a lot of overlap of their of history and and theology between the two of those men. At one point, um, you know, I guess on on some fronts, John Ryland just kind of copies and pastes from John Gill for a lot of his theology. Um, Ryland takes some heat on uh, a couple of different points, and <laughs> his son John Ryland Jr basically says that his, that his father Ryland senior was pretty much in lockstep with, with Gil on specifically eschatology. So he's like, whatever Gil said about eschatology, just copy and paste that over to, to John Ryland senior. And you pretty much got him. And so, um, as we kind of get into the, to the John Gill project, um, it's a, it's a area that's really close to something that's really particular to what I do. And so, yeah, as a pastor, yeah, PhD student, um, Got yeah, my family at home. It's it's a it's been a sweet time. I'm grateful to be uh to be able to talk about the John Gill project.
0: Well, we're grateful to have you men on the Covenant Podcast today. We've been immensely blessed by your work at the London Lyceum, and I know I speak for myself and for Austin when I say that we are thrilled to talk about the John Gill project today. In fact, I'm actually having the pleasure of studying under. Uh, Dr. Haken uh, and his cohort on John Gill with H&E Publishing. So um, I feel like I'm just drinking out of a fire hydrant for um, learning under him and being here today. So uh, with that being said, uh, since the topic of our conversation is the John Gill Project for today's episode, would you guys be willing just to provide our listeners with an overview of who John Gill was and why he is such an important figure in Baptist history, especially for those who may not be as familiar with John Gill as some of you men are?
3: I'll kick the ball over to either Jake or Garrett as the resident historians of the group.
1: Yeah, I could put a big picture uh, points, and then maybe Jake can supplement with all the good stuff. Um, John Gill was a particular Baptist minister in England uh, during the 18th century. So he was born in 1697. He dies in 1771. And so he is uh, just an extraordinary figure. Um, <laughs> I guess my first interaction with with John Gill came in Dr. Nettle's uh, Baptist history class, History of the Baptist. And so um, that was the first time I ever heard of John Gill. And so he kind of jumps straight into uh, Gill as kind of a, a bit of a controversialist. And some of the particular things about Gill that might be, um, I don't know, Debated and misunderstood in Gill's um, in Gill's history and theology, and so. Uh, but you know, at the maybe at the biggest picture, some of the things that I think are most important about Gill is that he is uh, the first Baptist theologian to write a full systematic theology, or what we would call a systematic theology, in his body of doctrinal divinity. And he has this uh, kind of companion volume, a body of practical divinity, where he talks about uh, different other aspects of the Christian life. So he kind of he's like the first great systematizer in Baptist history, period. And then on top of that, he writes a commentary on every verse and book of the Bible. He's the first Baptist to do that, and so um, just extraordinary Bible commentator. He was a Hebrew scholar. Uh, was he was a, a, just a wonderful linguist. Has a lot of other kind of great areas of doctrinal emphasis as well. He was, I think, maybe Richard Muller called him the the last of the, uh, like the post-Reformation scholastics. So he kind of has this uh, kind of old school, yeah, post-Reformation scholastic kind of method of theology, which makes him kind of unique among the particular Baptists. Um, You know, one other thing kind of on the more ecclesiology side, he is the pastor of a church in London where, um, where Benjamin Keach was in the past. And after John Gill uh, he's followed by a man, John Rippon, who is another one of those kind of underrepresented voices who's really significant. John Rippen, in my view, is kind of like, I don't know, the Forrest Gump of the 18th century Baptists. Uh, he's like always at the right place at when something really significant happens and is like surprisingly well connected and networked and just is interestingly involved in so many significant stories. Um, so John Rippen follows Gill, and then after Rippon kind of, You you get to Spurgeon. So you can think of maybe Gil as kind of the the grandfather of of Spurgeon's uh, pastoral ministry uh, there in London. So those are maybe just a few of the high points. Um, If you look up pictures of Gil, he looks really grouchy. Uh, And uh, I'd like to think of Gil as um, maybe not not as grouchy, but um, yeah, maybe Jake can comment on was Gil a big grouch or not
4: well the uh, the story goes that one of the famous portraits of Gill uh, hung in Spurgeon's office vestry, and somebody asked Spurgeon one time why did Gill look so upset and Spurgeon replied that he had just got finished talking with an Armenian. that's why Gill looked like that. Uh, I do think that well if if we're if we're really being blunt about where, Gill stands in the Baptist tradition. I think a lot of people have heard the mantra over and over and over that Gill is a hyper Calvinist and therefore Gill is to be avoided. And I think that's a real detriment in many ways to, you know, Baptist theology over the last probably century. Uh, John Gill and Andrew Fuller are the two most influential Baptists before C.H. Spurgeon. I mean, when you come into the context of early Baptists in America, uh, it's Gill and Fuller who are very influential among the development of pastors, uh, north and south. And I think it's right to say that Gill is the at least the titan among systematicians when we're thinking about who are the best you know, Baptist theologians. And there's much for us to recover. But Gill's like anybody that you study. There's things that you're going to read in him and you're like, I don't agree with this. I don't know, you know why he how he came there or whatever, but there's a lot of good that needs to be retrieved from him. And I think Dr. Haken is correct in many ways when saying that uh, Gil's uh, influence and, and his personality and really just the way that the Baptist of his day respected him is why the particular Baptists were able to, for the most part, uh, remain orthodox throughout uh, the 18th century, especially as issues concerning the Trinity, uh, the nature of Christ, deity, humanity, and so forth were rising up among dissenters. So I think we owe a huge debt to Gill, and I think that we would do well to really dig into the resources. And one thing, too, is that Gill is unique compared to a lot of the Baptists of that time, and that we have a lot of his writings. We can't really say that for many of those men in the 17th and 18th centuries and even into the 19th century somewhat. So I, I think that from, as I've told people before, I think we, we learn much from Gill and Fuller. I think Fuller exhibits a lot better than what we would call the evangelical Calvinism and maybe the, the pastoral model. But as far as systematically thinking through theology, I don't think there's anybody better than Gill uh, in, in the Baptist tradition, even to this day.
2: Mm. Amen. I will uh, go ahead and give us our fourth allusion to Dr. Michael Haken. I know that uh, the London Lyceum has uh, done an episode on John Gill with Michael Haken. So we'll link to the show notes in that. And then perhaps this next question will give us the fifth opportunity to talk about uh, Michael Haken. As I ask, what is the John Gill project and who will be cooperating together to administer, administrate this project?
3: Yeah, so I guess broadly, the John Gill Project, it's with h Publishing and the Andrew Fuller Center for Baptist Studies. So h Publishing is with guys like Chance Faulkner, if you're familiar with him. h and is doing awesome stuff, really trying to republish and do a lot of confessional Baptist, confessional reformed sort of material. Um, they are not some big, massive publisher that's just out to make money. They legitimately view it as a ministry to serve local churches and pastors. So I love them. I love what they're doing. And then the Andrew Fuller Center is headed up by Michael Haken, of course. So Dr. Haken, I mean, he he's the premier uh, scholar in Baptist history in my, in my mind, uh, especially confessional Baptist history and trying to promote that in the life of the church today. So we've partnered with these three groups together and to form what is the John Gill Project, and essentially what we're trying to do is we're trying to republish uh, a significant amount of Gill's work uh, and into modern typesetting into to beautiful sort of volumes. So in my mind, th- essentially this is how it started. Uh, we realize there's a lot of great material out there in theology. You got Herman Bavinck. You can pull off your shelf. You can pull off Calvin off your shelf, and you start looking Turretin. You, and you're going down the list, and you're thinking, where are the Baptists? I know we've got Baptists out here who have done great work, but where are they? They're not available? Well, I've got my great Baptist standard bearer set of you know Gill, this massive one volume, the tiny little font. So if you've got that two volume set of Jonathan Edwards, where it's got all of his works, it's just like get my magnifying glass, pull it out so I can read it. And you're thinking, yes, some serious academics will will buy that and read that. But your average everyday pastor or church, member is not going to pull that off the shelf and read it just because it's difficult to read and it and it's difficult to find on the internet. So I'm thinking here, what if we republished some of Gill? So I just email Dr. Haken a chance at H E and say, what do you think about this idea? And it just took off from there. And so now the goal right now, the first installment of the project is we're going to publish a an a edited and abridged version of Gill's entire body of divinity and body of practical Practical Divinity. That's set to come out in January of this year. So this is a sprint to get this one done, but that's not the only one done. So that'll be the initial volume that's like, here, let, let's take some snippets from all of Gil's thought and get it in the hands of local churches and local church members who are not likely to read 4,000 pages of text. We do have plans to have a fully three-volume, unabridged set as well in that you can sit next to your your turretin on your shelf and you can pull off for references. But we wanted this volume out first to serve local churches and pastors immediately. But we also have plans to publish a whole range of his republish a whole range of his work. And this is going to in, include new introductions from Dr. Haken, as well as Dr. Jonathan Swan, who Dr. Haken looks, looks at Jonathan Swan as the premier Gill expert that's there. So he was a, one of, one of his PhD students and has, he's he's brilliant so i'm excited about the project i think we also at the london Lyceum we've got an annual journal that we've started uh the first issue on the liberty of conscience to come out sometime this summer um, i'm busy working through the initial stages of copy editing with with the the articles that have come in i'm excited about it but our second issue is dedicated to john gill so i'm, I'm pumped about this jonathan swan and david rathel uh will be uh guest editing that as well. So they'll be offering their uh, Gill expertise um, to make sure that the articles are awesome. So I'm pumped about all that we're doing with the Gill project. At bottom, we just want more Baptist resources in the hands of our churches. And we think our seminaries need it too. I mean, I went to seminary. I, I don't have any Reformed confessional, but I don't even have any Baptist in my systematic theology classes. I mean, you've got John Frame um, I guess maybe, what is Wayne Grudem? I don't know. Is he like pseudo-Baptist-ish? Uh, I don't want to get in that hot water. I'll s- sidestep that one. <laughs> and then you got Herman bobbing I mean, you don't have, John Gill is the premier Baptist. Why don't we have our premier systematic theologian available for our seminaries? So that is the whole heartbeat behind it. We want to republish it for a modern generation, make it available, make it readable, make it, make it, available to the we'll do small tracks so there's portions of his spirituality that you can put in 50 or less pages and you can hand to a church member and say let's do a study on this that's easy comprehensible then you got the whole let's do the full three volume unabridged set that your nerdy pastors and your nerdy academics want to get your hands on so we're going to try to do a range of everything uh, but i'm pumped about it we we've got plans for at least 20 volumes so it's it's really exciting i don't know garrett jake do you have anything to add to that
1: yeah, so one of the things for me, I hope that this isn't like moving us to a different part of the conversation, but I I'm sure many many of us in this conversation have have relative easy access to Baptist sources. So if you like, Jake's talking about Andrew Fuller, he's like dropping an Andrew Fuller quote in his sermon from last night or whatever. Um, those sorts of things, we we pretty much know where to go to find that. Uh, thankfully, Fuller has been i guess modernized and more and popularized a little bit more i just remember talking with with church members who basically are asking questions about different theological topics and when i think about what books i can recommend to them or what sources i can recommend to them like jordan mentioned there's a lot of great presbyterian and um i guess like Puritan sources, which are fantastic, not, not to denigrate those at all, but when you think about why it is that it's so easy to recommend, I don't know, John Flavel or uh, Richard Sibbs or something like that, is because mostly the work of Banner of Truth, if we're going to be honest about it, mostly the work of Banner of Truth, and so here's H&E, they're doing their thing, and I would, yeah, I would love to see H&E kind of develop into like the, the Confessional Baptist Banner of Truth kind of thing. And so this is kind of uh, the the big project in my mind of of how to kind of get started in that. So another kind of angle on that is when you put you know Richard Sibbs, you put Herman Bobink into people's hands, a, a wonderful thing. Um, you can probably hear my children playing in the background. <laughs> um, what yeah, I'm sure you're tired of uh, of your friends abandoning the Baptist tradition, as you know. I want them to read. I want them to read Bob but I want them to stay Baptist. And so I'm, I'm just really grateful that I'm about to be able to like say, here is a Baptist systematician that you, know, you don't have to just you know, kick out his ecclesiology and his section on baptism or whatever. This is a, this is a true Baptist uh, source that's gonna be good for you and that we can, we can trust. It's part of our tradition uh, as confessional Baptists.
0: Well, I think that uh, Jordan and Garrett's were anticipating where we were going with our next question um, because we really uh, appreciated their insights on the need for uh, baptist republishing and recovering books from our specific theological tradition Um, i know over the the first few years of of me going to bible college uh, at the masters university i I was uh, notified that if you're going to adhere to covenant theology you need to be a presbyterian Um, i've even heard from um, notable Baptist seminary um, professors and, and presidents, not to name drop here to avoid hot water, so to speak, as Jordan mentioned earlier, but was told that if you're going to adhere to the doctrines of grace, then um, you know that, that's not something that Baptists do. That's something that Presbyterians believe. So um, I can speak from firsthand experience, just from what I've heard uh, as a young uh, Bible college student, and even over the past few years, um, just from what you see on social media here on YouTube and things of that nature, that there's still a misnomer going around that, you know, if if you're going to believe in in covenant theology, if you're going to believe in the doctrines of grace, uh, if you're going to read um, rich systematic theological volumes, then you're probably going to cross over into Presbyterianism and and you're going to leave Baptistic roots. So um, I I just want to see if you guys might be able to speak on a few more important reasons for... um, Baptists just retrieving the works that have been written and developed in generations past because I think this is a very important issue and concern for many of our listeners today because uh, I I don't know about y'all, but I get tired of seeing Scott Clark uh, sharing all the Baptists that, that leave uh, their denomination and, and go and join uh, some, some of the uh, Presbyterian varieties out there. So if you guys want to speak about just the importance or, or the the most uh, significant reasons for Baptist publishing um, works from previous generations. I think that would be really useful uh, to park at for, for a few moments here in our conversation.
3: I think. Yeah. Well I, might might be
4: <laughs> yeah well, I want to be restrained in my comments. Um, the, the problem is we started apologizing for being Baptist. That that's, that's the story. You know, we, we began in, I think people had good intentions of trying to to move into you know we're evangelicals and we have this in common and that in common and that's true we do want to promote a a lower c catholic spirit but we're baptists for a reason and if you don't expound on that and, and i would say that baptist theology and baptist identity is very much you know welded together with Baptist history. Really those two things you've got to be able to do together to understand <clears throat> where our distinctives and who we are come from. It didn't just, you know, magically appear somewhere. There, there's a real there's real roots and fruit that have come that we need to understand. And what happened, if you go back, you know, and I'll say this if you go back to, you know, Southern Baptist publishing over a hundred years ago. You know, the late 1800s, early 1900s, it was very common for the, the Sunday school board and, and those things to continuously publish works on Baptist identity, Baptist distinctives. We had, you know, church manuals. And, and as the 20th century progressed, you know, those things got thrown out because it didn't it wasn't important. Pragmatism was the name of the game. Uh, the old preacher would say it was about, you know, nickels and noses. And that's all that matters and so we we have suffered in in Baptist life we've not done very well in publishing because we've been too consumed uh, with other things and the things that we did publish let's just say uh, never needed to be published in the first place so now we have a really good opportunity to retrieve and there's a lot of for us to learn from what what fascinates me is why we think that we can't learn from these men in the past is almost as if, well, we can't understand those kinds of things. You know, men like Fuller and so forth, and even to an extent with Gill, these men were self-taught in a lot of ways. They didn't have the great formal educations because they were dissenters. They didn't have access to that, and yet they were very studious they, they knew history, they knew theology, they knew the languages, and also they did it not in a, in a vacuum. They did it as a community. They did it with other Baptist pastors and associations and so forth. So if we wanna understand who we are, we've got to read these men, and then this will be the last thing that I say because I don't wanna get on my soapbox this morning. But if we're gonna understand religious liberty, liberty of conscience, The church and the state and all those kinds of things and how do we exist faithfully as a minority group in this context then there's no no people better to learn from than our baptist forefathers and and i fear sometimes that too many guys who would put themselves and i'll put it in quotes here in, in the baptist community um they're more interested in a political theology that's going to keep or gain some kind of power And that's a losing strategy overall, because when that's what you're motivated by is keeping some kind of power culturally or politically, then you're going to compromise on what you believe. And more and more, you don't sound like a Baptist. You sound like something else. And that's why we need to go back to the sources and read and understand those men. It doesn't mean that we're saying, you know, let the society go to hell. But it does mean that we understand there is a kingdom of man and a kingdom of God. We have to understand where the church fits in and that we're not called to go storm the castle, so to speak, and to raise the Baptist standard. Look, I wish everybody was a Baptist in the United States of America. I do. But that's not the goal. And I'm not, you know, naive enough to think that. Now, if I were post millennial, maybe that would be what I think is the end. But what I do believe is those men believed in strong churches, strong families strong association of churches, and they did it by holding fast to the faith that was delivered by not apologizing for being Baptist and even being willing to go to jail and to suffer for what they believed. So we can talk about how big we are and all that in our day, but until we're at that point, I think that a lot of us would do well maybe to be in silence and to read and learn from these men about how do we stand faithfully as a remnant group other than that i don't have any opinions about why we should do Baptist publishing and retrieval (laughs) that's
1: that's great jake and one of the things you said is you know this the the history and the theology do go together in some significant ways and one of the things you know looking around again just us in this conversation we've had the privilege of theological education in a formal way and so we you know i was just thinking you know times where I have had church members or friends ask me about something from Baptist history, I have access through our library, uh, through the school library uh, to a database called Echo, 18th century collections online, where it's literally hundreds of thousands of primary source documents scanned in through like libraries and archives and museums and stuff like that. And so, um, but for someone who doesn't have access to that library, um, that, that database, I think it costs the library, I don't know, tens of thousands of dollars to have access for students, and people can't just do that. So I think we have a stewardship as those who have received a formal theological education to kind of mediate some of these old Baptist voices to the church today. And that's what I see the John Gill Project doing is here's, here's some guys who have the privilege of access to these materials, and we're trying to basically serve as like a mediating voice from the church of the past to the church of the present, and hopefully for the 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 benefit of the church of the future and i really think that's a really wonderful thing and uh it's a it's a really sweet stewardship to kind of pass down this this rich baptist literature
3: yeah that's good garrett i mean i think you got to think about this like what has been most influential in the history of the church well a lot of it has to do with just what's made available to people Uh, if something's not available it could be the best resource on the planet, and it's not going to edify people. So that's why we have to republish these sort of things. I mean, I think Herman Bobink, he's, one of my, he's probably my favorite systematician that's, that I have access to. I had no idea who he was 10 years ago. Didn't know he existed. And I wouldn't have had access to his stuff 10 to 15 years ago because it was untranslated over in Dutch. Unless we republish this sort of work for people and make it available to them, especially at a at an affordable price, which one reason why I like h is they're not going to set the price at an academic $150 per volume. You're going to actually be able to afford to purchase the volume and purchase it for your church in bulk if you want to. Um, that's how we make good resources like this. Get into this life stream and the lifeblood of our churches is making it available and the biggest part of that is just republishing it so people can have access to it.
2: Hmm. Yeah. Thank you for that. I can sense the excitement in all of your guys's answer, uh, and being a part of this project and perhaps other people are also excited. I know I, I myself am excited and I want to participate And maybe some of our listeners, uh, would want to participate in this project, um, I would imagine doing something like this costs money. So I'm curious to ask you brothers, how can people participate in this project? What are your fundraising goals for the John
3: Gill project and where can people contribute to giving to this project? That's a great question. So I'm gonna explain a little bit about this because I think even like myself, I had no idea how much all creating books costs. A lot of this stuff is just kind of like mysteriously behind the curtain. So first off, big publishers are not super interested in publishing John Gill, uh, for better or for worse. Um, most big publishers, it's, it's primarily about the bottom line. For better or for worse, that's not always a bad thing. You got to keep the doors open. I get it. But when they see John Gill, they're not going to be like, wow, this is really going to turn a profit or something like that. So big publishers are the ones that have money to spend on these sort of things and can pay the upfront cost to create resources like this. A small publisher like H&E does not have a vault with $2 million sitting in it where they can actually afford to front the cost on these sort of things. So to create a book like this, it costs money to get it copy edited by a professional. It costs money to get the layout design. It costs money to actually get it printed and put into an actual volume. And all of that for a volume like the first volume we're doing is going to cost somewhere between four to five thousand dollars upfront before we see a, a penny of anything coming. Before anyone buys anything, we've invested four to five thousand dollars in to just create it and make it a reality. Um, so that is the initial goal: is if we want to make these sort of things a reality, we need money to to make it happen. We need to to resource and fund the project. So we've set an entire goal of 40,000 so that we can do 20 to 25 volumes. Now, the first initial volume is gonna be in that four to $5,000 range. And I anticipate in that next year phase, so by the end of 2023, we would need about 15,000 to maybe 20,000 to front the initial 10 or so volumes that we hope to have out in that time timeframe. Uh, so the way to, to contribute to the project is there's there's basically there's sort of two locations you can go. You can go to the London Lyceum's website. You can go to londonlyceum.com. There's a tab that says resources and if you hover over that there's another little option that says the John Gill project. You can click that. You scroll to the bottom and there's a like a little box where you can donate. You can click it in, fill in your info there, you can do it that way. Or if you want, you can go to the actual source the funding source that we're using is called donor box um, and it's all it is it's just donorbox.org slash the john gill project now there's a dash between each of those words so it's like the dash john dash gill dash project but if you go there you can donate directly to there it's got all the information on uh, both our website and this has got the information on what the project is why we think it's important what our goals are um, how much we need to to make it a reality, as well as if you donate $100, we'll make sure you get a copy of that initial volume. If you donate $1,000, we'll make sure you get a copy of, you know, the full set of 20 or 25 volumes that we hope to do, if you can help fund the project and support it. So one thing I do recommend it maybe you don't have a lot of money in your pocket. You're like, I I don't have $1,000 to give, but well, a lot of your local churches do. Um, And we view this as a mission to equip gospel ministers, gospel pastors, to do good theology, to preach good sermons, to shepherd their flock well. We think this is going to help that area. So we think of this as a mission project in in some ways. So if you can talk to your church, I've got a support letter that I can send you. If you need a support letter, you can email contact at Lyceum.com. It'll be on official letterhead. You'll have Michael Haken's name there at the bottom so that you know it's legit. I mean, you've got everything in here. We can provide you to, to convince your church to say this is something we should support because it's going to benefit not only our church, but it's going to benefit all the local churches around us to have great orthodox, classically orthodox orthodox resources like Gil in your hands and made available. I don't know, Jake, Garrett, do you have any other uh, words of advice? Okay, well, I must have nailed it. So I tell you, go talk to your church. For If you need the letter, I can give it to you, or you can just give them the website and go say, I, th- I believe in this project. I think Gil's necessary. I think he's needed. I mean, if you know Haken, if Haken thinks he's needed, then he's definitely needed. So go talk to your churches and say, can we support this? If it's 10 bucks, it's $10. That helps support it. If it's $50, it's $50. I don't care how much you're able to support, but supporting in any way that you can will make this project a reality and we will get good classically orthodox resources in the hands of our churches and our church members so i I think it's it's a great project and i really do recommend and urge you to support it and we don't make any money from this so just to be clear i don't see a penny me jake garrett all the guys we're doing a bunch of transcription work we're staying up late doing all the work to make it a reality we will see zero dollars from this not a single penny will go into our pockets so just in case you wondered There's no big Eva pockets here. It's no profit.
0: (laughs) Well, we are certainly grateful for the labors of men like you to put the writings of John Gill in the hands of pastors and church members all throughout our country and hopefully all throughout the world at an affordable price. So um, we just want to encourage our listeners to um, contribute to this project in any way that you are able to do so. And we hope that the Lord will richly bless your efforts um, in the future months and years of seeing this project to its fruition. Um, Just as we prepare to wrap up our discussion today, do any of you have any final insights pertaining to either John Gill or to the John Gill project as a whole that you feel led to share with our listeners?
1: Yeah, if I might just jump in there, One, one kind of reflection I continue to come back to is just a thought that um, was shared with me that if, if Baptists don't define our own theology and if we don't recover our own history, then no one's going to do it. Um, Or the people that do it are going to do it badly. They're going to do a bad job of it and they're going to misdefine it. uh, And they're going to do a poor job of articulating our history. And so um, I'm going to assume that most of your listener audience is going to be kind of in our, vein of confessional baptists and what a wonderful thing and so um dig in there for yourself read read the primary sources yourself and i think that's such an important step for baptist lay people as well as pastors as well as scholars is to go back to the primary sources read it yourself so that you can be able to say i know my own theology i know what my tradition stands for where we came from and um I just really think we need to be looking at this with our own eyes and uh, and seeing it for ourselves so we can articulate our own theology and history. So I think this is one step toward that, toward that direction.
4: We have a really great opportunity and we need to be good stewards of the opportunity that has been given to us. As we noted earlier, there were a lot of men, you know, that I, I think about, for example, the work that, Both the Renahans have done and really being able to get resources to us. And they will concede that, you know, for example, the work that was done on Nehemiah Cox, republishing his work on the covenants, you know, that was not something that was available 30 years ago for people to get, and really 20 years ago. And so the Lord has really, in our age with technology, given us the ability to be able to do these things. And I'm a little mad at Garrett because he said everything that I was going to say in my my closing speech. So I don't <clears throat> have it now, but great minds think alike. But just to say that, you know, if we, this is a cause worth giving to the work that H&E is doing, we as Baptists, we need to do a good job of investing, not just in this present moment, but for the future. And projects like this, are to equip, not just our generation, but the generations to come. And so it's exciting to be a part of this. And I hope that it's just one of many that will come, not just on someone like Gil, there's a lot of Baptists for us to retrieve, recover and republish.
3: Yeah, that's good. I might whet your appetite there. Dr. Haken knows about a set of sermons that has never been published, never really been seen. That we hope to get our hands on and we'll have to actually look through his handwriting and transcribe it. But it's located just like 45 minutes from me. So I have easy access to go find them and get them into the hands of you uh, listeners and readers and eager eager readers. So I think, I mean, the project, like Jake said, it. I think it's just a start. Uh, Garrett has mentioned throughout that Baptists we, we just haven't had a lot of resources, and we really want to make them uh, get them in the hands of our Baptist people. And there's so many Baptists yet to be brought into the fold and say, "This is a great resource; we should engage him." And remember, you don't have to agree with Gil on everything to find value in him. I I don't agree with all sorts of people on my shelf on things like ecclesiology, and yet I still find them extremely fruitful and beneficial for my life and for my own personal development and for my own teaching others. So I think Gil is a great person to retrieve from. I mean, I'm a little biased because I'm kind of nerdy. Like some of my academic interests are in things like classical theism, and he's a great example of someone who is promoting that, championing that, uh, defending that. And so I think if Baptists want to understand how have Baptists thought about the nature of God and things like that, you go to Gill and he's very clear and very methodical and and he's very, I mean, he's scholastic in method. So Garrett mentioned, he's kind of like one of the last sort of Protestant scholastics in some ways. So I always find that approach really nice. So when you read Gill, you can go, he's going to give you five or six just arguments. Here's six reasons this is true. One, two, three, four, five, six. And here's the objections. Let me walk through the objections and explain why, why, why they don't, ultimately obtain. I find that sort of method really easy to understand and follow. So if you want to know those sort of things, I highly recommend Gill. I think it's fantastic. I think it's going to be a great project. and I'm pumped about it.
0: Amen. Well, we are very much pumped here at the Covenant Podcast, and we have enjoyed just a wonderful conversation on the subject of John Gill and the forthcoming production of the John Gill Project. We're so grateful for you men joining us today and For our listeners, we just want to encourage you to stay up to date with the development of this project. If you feel led to do so, feel free to contribute financially and certainly be offering your prayers for a successful development of this project in the future. Um, I think it's going to be very useful in getting people better acquainted with the life and theology of John Gill, hopefully for years to come. So um, we appreciate you men joining us today on the Covenant Podcast and to our listeners. Until next time, we want to wish you grace and peace. God bless.